you know, how that gap feels. Yeah. I, mean, I, I work at restaurants where, you know, the the difference between the, the pay between the back of the house and, and front of the house was huge. It's waiting on fries. They, you don't get it? You don't. What do you mean you don't get waiting on fries? Hopefully the customer never hears waiting on fries, but all this time on the entree and it's perfectly executed and then you're it's like, ready to go. I forgot to fire the fries. <laughs> I just always use that when I forgot to put somebody's order in and I was like, hey, I'm just waiting on the fries. It's going to be two more minutes. Realistically, I come back 10 minutes with the food. Exactly. <laughs> they just know that their food's not there in the service, so they're still waiting on fries. I guess we're just waiting on fries. <laughs> back again with episode three. We've got Chef Jorge Pabon, the CDC of Manhattan Restaurant, the Chef de Cuisine of Manhattan Restaurant, second so, only to Chef Jason. But first, into supporting the local scene of beers and ciders, Diner Bruco uses only New York State ingredients manufactured in Mount Vernon and sold at the Tap Room in New Rochelle. Ran by owners, operators, Diner Brew Co. is a completely independent brewery. Porters, sours, browns, champagne ciders, and lagers, Diner Brew Co. is as good as it gets. Justin, don't you have an event coming up with Diner Brew Co.? We do, we do. Coming up January 30th, Chris is coming in with uh, the crew from Diner Brew. We're going to have a four-tap event. He's handpicking uh, four of his specialty drafts. I don't know if he's going to do all beer, three beers, and a cider. Or whatever, but he's gonna pick it out. We're gonna put it on a tap at Smokehouse. We're gonna do an event together. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Did you get a new cider or beer for this week? We did. We did. He sent us his uh, kettle kettle sour, the peach sour. Kettle sour. I don't yeah. think I've had that one yet. How was it? It was. It, well, I had it when I, you know, last week when, when you I went there, dropped yeah. in there. I had a, I had a sample. It was delicious. And now we're pouring it for this week. So that's what Chris wants us to drink this week, and that's what we're pouring. I like that system. Chris has good taste in. Uh, Beverages. Let's why fight what's working. You know, if the <laughs> if the guy brewing the beer wants you to drink that, drink it. The guy cooking the food wants you to eat it, eat it. So with all these good beers being poured too at at you know your locations, how often are you dealing with maybe unruly guests that were liking the beers just a little bit too much? <laughs> that happens sometimes. That definitely happens sometimes. I was at a uh, at a bar not too long ago. I guess it was last weekend. Um, me and Gloria were sitting down eating and this guy who had been there all afternoon, it seemed, or it turned out from like four o'clock till maybe nine or 10 o'clock, just had a little bit too much to drink and he was getting a little too friendly with people. Um, I think he was relatively harmless for the majority of it, but, um, there was one specific part of the conversation that we tuned into where he definitely asked the guy he was sitting next to, Hey, do you have a gun? And the guy was like, no. And so then this guy goes, if you had a gun, I'd kill anybody for you. And I was like, okay, maybe you have had a little too much to drink. And it was shortly after that, that they cut off the guy and stuff got real, real fast. Friendly or pretty friendly. Asked him to leave. Unfortunately, like sometimes that stuff gets real a little too fast. You don't even see it coming. It's like, everybody's cool for a little while. And then you just have one, yeah, one sip too much. And then it's like crazy town. Everything changes. And there is definitely a threshold level where you could say, I just poured them one beer. What happened over that period of time? You know, when you're dealing with serving guests alcohol and you don't know what they've taken beforehand, it could be, you know, pills. They could have had drinks ahead of time. Yeah, you just don't even know where they've been. Maybe they were just having a couple of drinks before they got to your establishment. And you try to gauge it as best you can when they come in and they could look fine one moment and the next moment they're laying on the floor. It's it's a whole crazy scene. (laughs) That's when stuff catches up to you. It catches up to you. But there's, you know, being in the bar side of of the restaurant or, or bar scene period, we do have to gauge where people are at, how much we're serving them, 
we have to pace them if they're trying to get ahead of themselves. Uh, ideally, we want to let the party go for as long as possible because that's how we keep the register ringing and we know that bodies bring bodies. So we want the real estate. Well, that's the that's the line, right? Because where are you going to – you got to fight yourself somewhere. It's like you want people to have a couple of drinks and you want your check averages to go up and how much everybody's spending. But you don't want it to get to a point where you're, it's, become, you're, it's becoming a liability for yourself and then you get yourself in trouble. Yeah. So you always have to kind of like walk that line of like – seeing who could be you know potentially a trouble a trouble spot in a restaurant and kind of monitor where they're at and keeping control on that make sure everybody like you know i imagine the floor sometimes and i'll watch and everybody comes in all nice and you know everything's good and, and then all of a sudden all of a sudden <laughs> boom, you gotta you gotta hit your bartenders off real quick and say hey listen i saw so-and-so over here doing this keep, keep an, an eye out. keep yeah. an eye on see where they're at start start putting some water in front of them or you know something like that but you you want to stay on the on the clean side of of the intoxication level because it's not good for any it's not good for the house it's not good for the person drinking it's not good for the bartender it's not good for the other guests yeah you know if if you You don't want to be known as a place where people get sloppy and things get uncomfortable you ruin the whole experience for everybody and and importantly too there's discretion based on environment uh i think is the best way to phrase it and you know quickly uh, noom tell tell me what level or what sign is too intoxicated to be in manhattan Right, like, <laughs> um, what level or what sign is too intoxicated to be a Manhattan? I like, mean, what's not acceptable, right? Being rowdy, being sloppy, like that's <laughs> yeah, not acceptable. But I mean, I, I've seen people get a little too happy at some parties sometimes. You know, people have a lot to drink sometimes. Just what? What do you have as, as your level of like threshold where somebody's got to be kind of cut off and m- well, maybe the, sent out? The first thing is the noise level. Right, that so that's like that's a big. If you thing, get <laughs> right? perfect example, what was the guy's name? Tony. Uh yeah, we had you know Tony. <laughs> we had this is a while ago. We this had, is a long time ago. Yeah, a long, long, long time ago. So we'll get yeah. So noise level is the first thing because you want you know every you know you want to maintain a certain sound level throughout the restaurant the whole night. And once one person kind of gets a little too tipsy, they you know you'll notice they're their voice elevates and then it starts to create a disturbance in the whole vibe. So that's the first thing you want to tip off. What Anum is talking about is this The specific incidents, uh, one of our coworkers walked out of the kitchen and all of a sudden, without him saying a word, all you hear is, what the fuck are you looking at? (laughs) (laughs) Coming from this guy who was sitting at the end of the bar, seemingly to be enjoying himself, but all of a sudden he was enjoying himself a little too much. And, And you know, that came out of nowhere because the gentleman- Completely out of nowhere. The gentleman he references was a regular at the restaurant for a long time. And would just have root beer and like a burger. Like he would just come in and get a draft root beer and have a burger. He was a nice guy. He knew everybody's names. Yep. All the servers thought he was like a sweetheart. We never saw this coming. Then one day, one day, one day he found you know the Bronx Pale Ale. You know, sorry to shout out the Bronx. That's not your <laughs> fault. But but the the Pale Ale and he you know he had one beer and it just. Turned into switched. a whole different <laughs> everything switched. A whole different guy. And so you have to people identify. talking about eating squirrels and all sorts of just crazy nonsense after you that. Know, so, you know, quickly after that incident we had to tell him like, listen, oh well, I had a conversation <laughs> with him actually. You had a couple conversations <laughs> with him, I remember to try I said, to keep him from like uh, losing his place. Yeah, and I said, Listen, obviously you can't handle drinking here. If you want to come in and you wanna eat like you've been doing for couple of years now yeah. <laughs> you want to come in and have a burger and have a root beer you're more than welcome but i'm not going to serve you anymore because i saw you drink one beer and you know hilarity ensued you. you know <laughs> so 
Uh, you know, and so then there was this happened multiple times. So like you, uh, you you told him to walk home one night when he had his car in the parking lot. Then he came back and stole his car away from you, didn't he? Well, I mean, well, not stole his car away from you. But I mean, this was all part of the same transgression of, of events. That right? was, was that all, same night. Okay. Yeah, it was all it was all one time that led to his eventual banishment of the restaurant, <laughs> right? And the, the only other incident was when he came in in a, in a disguise <laughs> because we told him that he wasn't allowed to drink anymore. So he came in in like a disguise as if we wouldn't notice, and that's the yeah. night you're talking about. And, I, and I'm pretty sure he was already intoxicated at that point. Oh, yeah, we no, quickly he, told him that he had to leave, and that's when he – That's you know, I put him in a cab, actually. Yeah. I said, I don't know what you've been doing all day. I'm going to put you in a cab, and I'm going to take you home. And then, like, disguise after dis- – it was – yeah. <laughs> it was that was the last time we saw saw him at the restaurant, yeah. though. The the thing is, is to identify, like, you you have two different kinds of, like, yeah. intoxicants, right? Like, you one – You have your bros. You have, yeah, you have your bros, which, you know, you got a bunch of guys that are out for the – they're out for the day. Maybe they're having some drinks or they're, you know, watching a game and, you know, they're bouncing from bar to bar. They're generally harmless. Sometimes they can be, like, annoying because you're, like, looking at look at these bros. They're doing whatever, but, you know, order a bucket of beers. And, yeah. you know, they, they can get a little loud, but, you know, generally know there's nothing wrong with yeah, that. Yeah, they generally know their place. The, yeah. other, the other kind is, you know, for lack of a better word, the degenerate. Right? The guy will sit who, at the end of the bar with his hat real low, not talking to nobody, just yeah, like pounding the, beers. The guy in the corner. And then those are the ones that you have to identify because those yeah. are the ones that are going to yeah. get you in trouble. Yeah. Because they, you know, I don't want to make light of the situation, but they, you know, if they're if you're having one drink and it's flipping a switch to somewhere, you, you know, where, to where your entire personality is changing, you, you probably have like an issue with that. So yeah. like those are the guys you don't want yeah. to be frequenting the bar because, you know, it doesn't make the environment a pleasant for one. everybody. Well, that goes that goes into something else as well. I, I mean, you know, for example, working in a high volume bar on a Friday Saturday night, where I may have a line of thirty kids trying to get drinks at once, and I say kids almost literally to some extent, right? Uh, you start seeing like personality traits come out as the night evolves, and maybe. These kids are trying to slam their power hour at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, you know, while the drinks are still a little bit cheaper. And they're just taking double fists going down. And at some point they walk back up to the bar and they're kind of clearly intoxicated, but to the point where it's still kind of acceptable in a late night bar, uh, not a threat at the moment. And sometimes these kids will walk up to the bar already with a full beer or a full mixed drink in their hand and try just to order try one. to order a second one. Yep. Now, that's where I have to judge something. Is this the type of personality that is just ordering beers to order beers? Because I'm okay draining your bank account in that sense <laughs> because you're not drinking them. You're just hoarding them, really. <laughs> uh, but then you have the other guy, and that guy's a little bit dangerous to have in the bar as far as an intoxicated guest goes because he's trying to actually chug these drinks which that could actually be harmful. And I don't want to have to spend the rest of the night answering you know, police questions yeah. or anything like that the next day or babysitting this guy making sure he doesn't do anything silly. and that's a best case scenario you don't want him to go out and like you know kill somebody or something yeah. like that it's definitely a level of responsibility there i mean that when you get to the over intoxicated level it's just it's not a good thing for anybody like i said for the for the for the crowd at the bar for the bar itself for the bartender because if you're that yeah i mean you're no longer getting a decent tip anymore <laughs> <laughs> you're lucky if you're you lucky if they pay the bill <laughs> yeah. you know like so 
you know, it's just it's just not a good situation. So it's important that like your bartenders and your management and everybody's like kind of keeping a good eye on the whole situation and keeping the vibe the way you want it to be like the whole entire night. Absolutely, a hundred percent. And you know, some some years back, uh, and uh, we won't necessarily say any names. However, uh, you know, a firefighter rolled into a bar and. Uh, he rolled into multiple bars that night, unbeknownst to us, and he wound up coming in and having a drink at the bar. He was kind of okay at that moment. Yeah, it was a regular amount of drinks he probably had. It was okay. There's a, a guy that works for the community as well, not looking too banged up at that moment. And he actually wound up driving down the wrong way of a road and killing somebody. I remember that story. Um, and. You know, that's a, a sad story in itself, but he wound up frequenting every single bar that night, and, and uh, I think they did check his system eventually, and he had a little bit of a concoction of various things in his system as well. But, you know, we can't always tell all the time what's going on from one second to the next second. I mean, yeah. all it takes is a quick trip to the bathroom from somebody and then having a chemical reaction with whatever they've taken in the bathroom to come back out, and all of a sudden it's night and day difference. Yep. So it's important for people to be on their game and just be paying attention to people's attitudes and personalities and the way they're acting and reacting to things. Yeah, I, I think in you know a lot of restaurants too, you'll see uh, a yellow light kind of happen if you're looking at a, a green light, red light scale, uh, where you alert your team members. Hey, this guy seems like I, I shouldn't just say guy. This guy or girl seems like they're looking to have a little bit too much fun today. Maybe we should slow them down. I'm kind of yellow laying them right yeah. um, before you actually give them the full on cutoff. And then it, another aspect of that is when you do cut somebody off, how do you finesse that not to have them never come back again and have a nasty taste in their mouth and not to have them react negatively at you like yeah, publicly and openly. And that's the really tough part to yep. do because if you're at the point where you have to cut them off, there's a chance yeah, that they're not going to like that's it. That's why you kind of want to stay ahead of it because yep. When you're ahead of it, you're still talking to someone who's relatively coherent in their thoughts. If you let it go too far, you know, at that point, then you're kind of already, you're already in trouble because, you know, that person's clearly not thinking correctly anymore. Completely. And, you know, one of the tactics that I'll use often is I will turn to the friend that is a little bit more coherent and make hard eye contact with them as I'm explaining why I have to cut his friend off a little bit. Uh, and use this in a, f a finessing way as well, of course. I'm not just saying, hey, you, I'm not serving you, you're drunk. I'm saying, hey, guys, listen, this is a corporate spot or, hey, this is more of a family-friendly environment. I can't let you get any real further. I'm trying to slow you down a little bit. Let me back you with the water. You're cool to hang out here. Uh, you're not really causing much of a scene now that you're knowledgeable about this, right? However, if you want to keep on partying, this isn't the bar for that. Go across the street. That bar loves shenanigans. <laughs> just just unload them on the guy across the street. Pass them to somebody else. But, I mean, you touched at a good thing. Like, I, I like going to, the, going to the friend or diffusing the whole situation yeah. because when you really get in trouble is when you're blunt about it. Totally. You don't want to embarrass somebody. So if they're, exactly. like, if they're with people... You know, you don't want to embarrass them and be like, dude, you can't drink anymore. And then, you know, that you're just throwing gas on the fire because yep. usually their friends will be like, oh, look at you. You're, you know, like, oh, you're always getting whatever. And then it just builds and builds and builds. And then that guy is going to be, or girl, that guy or girl is going to be like, you guys are you so know, positive. upset. And he's going to be, you know, he's going to be more inclined to like argue the situation. If you just pull him off to the side and be like, listen, dude, 
you know, don't order anymore. You know, I'm not going to do it in front of your whole thing, but like, you know, we're going to have to slow down and I'm not going to, I'm not going to announce it to everybody, but you know, help me help you kind of deal. It's, it's true. And and another test that we do too is, uh, you know, if somebody orders a drink from you and you realize that they're to the point of about to be intoxication or so, yeah, they might be able to take that extra drink and it's still kind of okay, depending on where you are. I'll not make that drink and I'll wait to see if they ask me again. Because a lot of times if somebody is a little bit hammer time, they forget that they ordered the drink and they're just like hanging out, sitting around. They don't realize that their drink hasn't shown. Someone's already taken them out the door. Or they take themselves out the door because they're like, you know what, maybe I should just go home instead. Or just go to a next bar where, you know, somebody wants to serve my drinks faster. Which may not be the case. You know, when I see people come in that have clearly been partying all day, I see if I could do a, a one and done job on them just to take 50 bucks into the till. If it's worthwhile, of course. Don't offer the tab, for right? One. For like a round. That's, that's I'm a saying if they come in with that's a That's a good play. It's like, don't even offer the tab. Just be like, yep, 30 bucks. In, in and out. And I'll gauge from that point, back him with the water if need be. And, you know. Our, you said him again. <laughs> I came with the water. He's drawing on him with the water. very like specific personal stories. You know what? Mind. It's okay, though, because it is usually dudes. <laughs> I mean, if we're I'm realistic, it usually is. Like, oh, we just had to cut a group of girls off the other day. Uh, I think women are, I'm sorry to say this, <laughs> women are the worst when it comes to having to get cut off. You're going to get in trouble now. There's so there's so much more, I feel like, that can happen with women drunk than men drunk. The, you know, I, I think that there's a lot more problems that ensue. Who's getting her home safely, right? Like, we live in a predatory I'm so, I'm I understand I'm what sorry. you're saying, but you're, I mean, Dudes I are crash and burn, though, and. I mean, you're behind the bar. Have you ever been behind the bar with a female bartender? Yes, and that's a whole nother issue that you could touch on. (laughs) I mean, have you heard the things that dudes will say to these female bartenders? It's like they have never seen a woman before in their life. (laughs) And they just open up a present and they have like a woman and they're like, oh, what do I say? What do I say? And then What what do you think are some of the uh, funniest things that some people have said to some of your bartenders? Actually, the the funniest thing I'll notice... It's not even what people say, it's what they don't say. So you have a guy, right? And he's and I'm saying guy now because it's a guy, right? And he's sitting at the bar. And he'll sit at the bar and he'll have like two or three drinks and he'll order a burger, say nothing to the bartender at all, right? Nothing at all. And then get his bill and then write something on the bill like, hey, great time. Give me a call. We can continue this. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> Nice, nice, nice tits. See you next week. <laughs> it, it could be, it could be ridiculous. And we've know. also, we've also definitely had a couple of guys who will come into the restaurant and, like you just said, order a burger or a soda or something like that, and then leave the server or the bartender like a hundred dollar tip or something like that. There's, remember, oh, yeah. there, there's definitely been guys. Well, just that. randomly, yeah. with no note at all, exactly, yeah. without saying anything. It's just like here's a hundred dollars, and then you wonder for, like, what is it? What does that even mean? Like, what are they? It's as, like thanks for interacting with I'm me. I'm telling you, man, dudes, level. dudes are the worst. As far as the bar goes, though, like we sell sex, and if you deny no, wait, that, you should hold. not be hold. <laughs> hold. Stop. No, just stop. I'm hitting the brakes so hard on that just, comment. Everybody needs to know that was Jay that was, who said that. That was not Jay. Justin, Jay is over there selling sex. Okay. All right, that was Jay. We don't sell. Well, I don't. Disc- what are you dis- talking about? Disclaimer: We don't 
sell physical sex. We sell sex appeal. No, we don't sell any of that. We sell food and we sell quality <laughs> cocktails and we sell an experience. But that's the I don't know what you're working Jay's at. selling very different experiences over. <laughs> but that's the difference between working in a restaurant and working in nightlife. That's it, the difference between working at your restaurant and working at everybody else's restaurant. Exactly. And that's what you have to understand. How do you get a job? We're in it to make tips. If, if you're over here not, selling sex appeal, what are you doing there? If we're not making the $50 an hour, we're not, not happy about it. So how do you think we get to that point, right? Girl's job is to flirt with the guys or entertain it, depending on what the level is. This is taking a wildly inappropriate turn at this point. You know, guys, we, we come from different backgrounds and different places. Very different places. Have you ever you been that guy that's actually sending the notes to the bartender? I feel like you might No, have. never, but we watch it happen all day long. The girls take it. They throw it behind their register. They smile. They lift the 30 to 50 bucks off the client, and they throw it in their tip well, bucket, I mean, and that's it. The client. See, now he's using <laughs> words like clients. <laughs> like, <laughs> How do you train people again? And this is the difference between working in a restaurant and working in a bar. Oh, man. I mean, yeah, okay. We have a professional bartender. They know how to handle it, but that doesn't make it any any better. It, it's part of the territory. It's part of the territory. I've worked with girls where they go, this guy leaves me creepy notes all the time. What and I'm like, the, let me see the creepy note. And I look at the <laughs> let note. Let me see the creepy note. I look at the note. <laughs> He's like, how do I need to write my next note? I look at the note, and it's like a stick figure of like a devil, and then it says, you're beautiful on the side. And I'm like, on a creepy level 1 to 10, that's like a 3. I mean, it could be... I think it ratchets up to like a seven if it's a devil. <laughs> like, <laughs> if it's just a stick figure, that's I like a three. I think it depends on the quality. But of if the you put like the, the horns on there, then you're then you're talking about seven or eight. All right, how about the guy that creepily finds their like Instagram or something though, and like yeah. slides in their DMs the next day? While or or even worse, while he's sitting at the bar. <laughs> while he's sitting at the bar, <laughs> and you're just sitting there and just like I'm gonna find your Instagram. I'm not gonna say anything to you right now. Oh, there you are on Instagram. I'm gonna slide in your DM when I get home tonight. That's like, very passive. Uh, of that guy as well. This is too. what dudes do. I, I get it. I get dudes do weird things. Uh, we dudes s- do we weird see it. Things. I mean, I wonder if I, f- I like to feel like when I was younger, I had some sort of game. You know, you um, were forced I, to have some. Sort my, of game no, my wife will disagree because like, oh. she'll 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 say you have no game, dude. Your lines were terrible. But at least I had lines. You had lines, yeah. <laughs> right? But you know, like today, it's like dudes are crashing and burning. Left you don't need right. to make any effort. You don't need to make any effort nowadays. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, we have Jorge Pabon in the studio today. So Jorge is the <laughs> chef de cuisine at Manhattan, my direct supervisor. But before we get into his roles at Manhattan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today? I went to college. I studied uh, philosophy, I studied economics, then I graduated. Um, and then I decided to go to culinary school. Uh, I always like cooking, uh, so started researching culinary schools, uh, decided to go for it. And you went to Institute of Culinary Education? Yeah, ICE? I went to uh, ICE, yeah, Institute of Culinary Education. Uh, Shout out to ICE, that's where I went, yeah. 2014? Yeah, uh, and then um, after that, just uh, did my externship in, in the city, in New York City. Uh, after that, I decided I was done with the city and uh, started traveling and moving around. I uh, work in Europe, work in California, came back to the city, left the city again, uh, went back to Europe. Where did you uh, work in Europe? I work in uh, Italy. Um, I lived there for a little bit over a year. Uh, I also work in Spain. 
yeah, and then I, I came back uh, to the city. And now I'm in Manhattan. So is there, you know, it, for, for me, it sounds like there's a huge difference between working in the city versus outside of the city. And in the city that we refer to as New York City. Yeah. Uh, I, I assume the volume is much higher in the city versus coming out to maybe like Westchester out yeah, at, yeah. directly outside the city by 20 minutes where the volume falls off drastically. Is it easier to cook outside of the city than it is Pressure-wise, uh, I think it's more uh, more fun to cook outside the city. Uh, I think my my experiences uh, cooking uh, at restaurants outside New York City have been more about um, about the cuisine, about the mm. location, the ingredients. Uh, it seems a lot more intimate. It allows me to to pursue, you know, that art of cooking. Uh, in the city is uh, super competitive, um, you know. Uh, you know, keeping the business going, uh, keeping the business healthy, coming up with uh, menus, finding purveyors for the ingredients. Uh, it's uh, it's a lot of, a lot more competitive. Yeah. I think uh, speaking about competitiveness, it's very evident in the city um, how competitive things are and how quickly things change. Um, one good example of that is the discussions that we have on the line and the discussions that you guys as sous chefs have on the line um, relating to new dishes. Just last night specifically, I heard you guys talking about how we wanted to change the burger from the lamb burger to something else, but keep the same yeah. lamb flavors present and just create a new lamb dish. And that was something on the fly, yeah. something that you guys just came up with on the spot. Yeah, I mean, a lot of those, uh, a lot of those changes. There's uh, many, many factors that that lead to many changes. Uh, maybe we, maybe a purveyor can't provide us anymore with an ingredient, so we have to start thinking about a, a new dish. Uh, maybe the owners of the restaurant have a different vision of of what the menu should look like, so then that... Uh, and that also changes seasonally. Like, exactly. um, for example, our chicken dish over the summer, we used in, um, like a pepper hot sauce as soon as the peppers went out of season, it was yeah. time to change that dish. Yeah, so that's something uh, that we try to 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 keep in Manhattan, uh, work with the seasons. That's, mm. I think that's something we do very well. Uh, we change the menu with the seasons. We rely a lot on the markets. Um, but then, you know, a lot of the menu changes have also to do with what the owners want or maybe what the executive chef wants or maybe what the guest wants. We, we pay a lot a very close attention to guest reviews mm. and, and that, uh, reflects on, on, on our menu. So since we're talking a little bit more specifically about Manhattan right now, why don't you tell us about your role specifically as Chef de Cuisine in Manhattan? Can we paint Can we paint the picture of Manhattan real quick first for those that are unfamiliar with the, the brand and their actual restaurant location and kind of how it's set up? I know most people go into a restaurant, they order food, and it just comes out of thin air out of nowhere from the back. Uh, Manhattan is a little bit differently from my understanding, and maybe you can elaborate on how that setup is. Yeah, so at Manhattan, uh, when you come in for dinner, our kitchen is in the middle of the dining room, so you have a choice to sit either at a table or you can sit at the kitchen counter and watch us work. Um, once you're in the dining room, you order from a three-course prefix menu, so you get a first course, an entree, and a dessert. You have a few options for each from each category. Um, yeah, I mean, 
I think yeah. that's a good basic so description. Com- completely visible. Yeah. And I know you were saying, uh, Jorge, that the menu changes uh, somewhat frequently. H- how often is the menu actually changing? Uh, I would say every three weeks. Oh, wow. There's, uh, there's some major changes on the menu, yeah. Well, so that's quite often, I think. Yeah. Huh? Mm-hmm. So that yeah. gave you have a lot of creative freedom then, kind of. Yeah, um, I think uh, all of us uh, in the management team uh, have a lot of creative freedom, a lot of input on the menu. Um, even I, I always try to also extend that to the cooks, you know, mm-hmm. whenever they have an idea for a dish or whatever ambition they have, uh, they're welcome to bring that to, to us and and help us create a menu yeah sure and you were you were saying noon before i uh, interjected real quick uh you were going to touch on oh so my position is uh tornot so as a tornot i'm sort of overseeing my team of line cooks or the team of line cooks that i work with um pre-service just to make sure that everybody's ready to go for service and all their stations are set up properly and stocked properly during service, I am at the pass plating and, again, just trying to ensure a smooth service. Spoon work. Spoon work. Spoon work. <laughs> Spoon work and tweezers. That's uh, that's what we do. I mean, not to knock it down like that a little bit. We make jokes about it, or we used to make jokes about it at Smokehouse, but that's life now. Um, so while I'm doing my plating work at the pass and supervising our... Uh, Chef de Partiz, our line cooks, Jorge is supervising me and also just generally ensuring that service runs smooth from the kitchen side of things. So then now what you do as CDC, really explain the role of CDC to, to those that don't know. Uh, I didn't know. I had to look this up a little bit as yeah. I'm in the front of house. Oh, they, were, they were both convinced that CDC um, stood for <laughs> Center for Disease Control. And I was like, yes, that makes sense. That's exactly what we do. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, CDC is a uh, chef de cuisine of the the kitchen. Uh, the title is mostly uh, based on the traditional French uh, brigade system, mm-hmm. uh, the hierarchy. Uh, Very military-like in the kitchen. Yes, right, huh? yeah. yes. Uh, so here in Manhara, specifically, uh, as the chef de cuisine of, of, of the restaurant, um, I would say... In the on the culinary side, I'll be. I am the second in command. Uh, be, above me, we have Chef Jason, who's mm-hmm. the executive chef. Jason is the guy. Yeah. <laughs> so so basically, my role is to work one on one with him, and you know, and to help him manage and, and run the restaurant, create menus, uh, hire, uh, and like Anum said, just make sure that service runs smoothly. Not to not to make any jokes too, but if the number one in command goes down for any reason, has to leave the restaurant, that puts the number two to the number yeah. one spot. Correct? Exactly. Yeah. He's, so, he's for sure the guy who's making sure that Chef Jason's vision is getting executed properly on a day to day basis. I, I think that's a, yeah. probably the best way to put it. Uh, uh, basically, yeah, my role is to execute uh, the executive chef's vision. Yeah. Uh, whenever he's not in the restaurant for whatever reason, you know, he has a day off or he's a uh, at an off-site event or one of those uh, reasons, then yes, I'm 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 the one uh, responsible for <laughs> for everyone. Yeah, yeah. So that's really you must see very close eye to eye with with chef at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, we, our relationship uh, is uh, you know we meet every day, we check in, we go over, you know. 
you know uh, everything everything yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything <laughs> so much yeah. that's how the uh, the scallop conversation started last night over Jason looking at some plates and noticing that we had some plates that were going missing and some plates that were just not being utilized properly yeah, yeah. Do you what, do you, what do you mean missing uh, most likely they were being broken oh okay. yeah. like physical plates yeah. gotcha yeah, yeah. And they're, they're expensive plates, and so he was not too happy about them going missing. <laughs> when we talk about the, the trend, the culinary trends and things that you see in the kitchen, you know, what's one of the biggest culinary trends that we're looking at kind of right now where maybe some guys are overdoing it? You could walk into any restaurant and find the same thing over and over again where they're not even trying to push the boundaries anymore. Um, I don't know. I think there's many of those trends. I would say, uh, yeah. I would say a, a tasty menu is, is a trend. You know, uh, I think uh, having a, a chef's counter these days seems like, like <laughs> that's a definitely trend. very trendy. True. Um, I think uh, here in Manhattan, we try to uh, produce something that's a little bit more authentic. Um, we don't really follow these trends. Uh, we just uh, just cook food. That's it. Good, yeah. cook good food. That's rule yeah. number one. Are there any are there any trends right now that you're looking at, or you look at and you're like, this is this is silly. I don't know why people are. I would say, I don't know. Nothing comes really uh, to me right now. Well, I would say probably plating styles. Those are the things that like I look on Instagram and they're like plating food in a certain way that just seems like very uh, trendy. I don't know. That would be what you call spoon work, Justin. The spoon work. Yeah. <laughs> Fancy spoon work is definitely kind like of trendy. Like spirals right or yes. like this yes. technique where you, I don't know, put uh, a puree on the plate and then... Mm-hmm. And then just splatter it. Splatter to it, little, yeah. like things like that. Is there something that you see coming up that could be the, the future trend, steering away from those things that we're you know, seeing all the time? I mean, we open up Instagram, and we talked about it a little bit last, last week, uh, when you open up Instagram, you see these same plating techniques that you're speaking of with all the puree and the spirals all over the yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. And it's only a matter of time before people go, all these plates look exactly the same. We have to start doing something different. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think uh, I, I think going back to, to that idea of something that just uh, looks authentic, organic, uh, just not, you know, adding too much to it so now we know a little bit about what your specific role is can you give us a little bit of insight as to what a day in the life of chef Jorge is like from the moment you walk into the building first what's typically the first thing that someone's going to come to you with give us that good fella shot you know (laughs) one one shot from the street all the way to the table uh so it's a it's a very long day first of all Uh, what time do you typically get in um, Cause you're there before I am. Yeah, I'm usually there around. I would say eleven. You know, eleven. I I go to. I wake up fairly early. I go to the gym and then I I go to the restaurant. Wait, wait. Let's tell everybody what kind of gym you go to because this is kind of interesting. Oh, uh, mixed martial arts. Nice. I mean, oh, just nice. started doing MMA. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. As if I, cooking wasn't enough, he goes out there and starts fighting people. So so I do a little bit of that and then I I go. Going to the restaurant, uh, I could see where you can need to do that though. That's from, exactly like, cooking all night, and I the just the first want, like, time you told me about that, I was like, face. "This, this makes sense. This is the perfect outlet for all that aggression that we build yeah. up during the day." I choke someone, <laughs> yeah. make them tap. Um, yeah, so you know, basically, I go, I walk into the the building, and I, and I immediately check in with the sous chefs uh, that open the restaurant. 
make sure that every all the staff members are are there. Uh, I go over the menus. That's a, a big one. Make sure that all the ingredients arrive. Everything that I ordered the, the night before arrive. Uh, uh, and then I always have a long list of things that that I have to do on that day that I, I try to write the night before. Uh, that is maybe interviews that I have to conduct that day or emails that I have to write or I'm working on a menu. Like uh, right now we're working on the Valentine's menu. Um, it's a good month ahead to get things yeah. going. Yeah. So we know what the menu looks like. We start, we uh, post the menu online. Uh, start placing orders, start testing the dishes if we haven't, if we don't, you know, if we've never done those dishes. And so our Valentine's menu, I think last year it ran for almost a week. It wasn't just the day of, it was a few days before and a few days afterwards. This this time it's just gonna be the one day, the Valentine's day. Mm. Um, And then then just looking at the schedule and looking at the teams, we have have like four or five teams right now. Uh, an events team, we have this, the dinner service team, lunch team, we have the prep team, uh, and then just we're uh, expanding a little bit uh, as of now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just uh, building those teams. And all of this is done before you even step into the kitchen and start looking yeah, at food. Yeah, so this is all before service starts, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then I spend my, my nights uh, running the pass during dinner, yeah. That's a that's a lot of bodies and overhead too. Uh, it sounds like you've got a football team there ready to go. So many people. people. It's a, at least at least it's a forty forty uh, cooks. Jeez. Yeah, and then we have yeah. the and then we have the management team, which is pretty pretty big <laughs> as well. Now we we were talking uh, just a little bit earlier on this, and, and we'll get into it a little bit more later on in the uh, episode here, but this tax that's been being put onto checks to cover some kitchen expenses as well just three what was this three percent well, that we're starting to see pop up in various receipts i don't i don't want to call it a tax but you're referring to like a revenue sharing like kind of deal where a new charge is being put on a put on a bill to cover you know the guys in the kitchen who often get shorted on the gratuity scale from the servers. Yeah, so there's a bit of a wage gap between the front of house workers and the back of house workers, and it's not such a hard argument sometimes to say that back of house workers maybe put in more hours or more effort over the course of the day, but totally. those efforts aren't necessarily always reflected in um, their pay. Scale. Yeah, and so um, having a gratuity included or hospitality included or a revenue share program kind of closes that gap a little bit. And that's one of the things that we do at Manhattan. That was one of the reasons why I was eager to join the team, just to be a part of a place that was looking or actively looking and trying to solve that problem. Yeah, I mean, I I certainly know from experience uh, how it feels uh, to, you know, how that gap feels. I yeah. mean, I, I work at restaurants where you know the the difference between the the pay between the back of the house and and front of the house was huge yeah uh, but um i like what we're doing at manhara we're definitely trying to close that 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 gap um and the more the restaurant uh you know the bigger the restaurant gets and the 
the healthy the business is, the the better everybody does. Yeah, everybody does. So to go into it briefly, um, what we do at Manhattan, there's a percentage that comes off of the revenue that the restaurant makes that gets divvied up between the employees, and that percentage is also divided based on the position of the employee, um, exactly, their position yeah. in the restaurant, and their position their level in that within that position yeah so for a line cook there's three levels or three tiers worth of revenue share that you could be making and i think that's same three tiers based on all of the positions within the restaurant yeah exactly so so yeah you have a base uh salary hourly salary and then uh a percentage of the the revenue sales of the restaurant uh it's uh, given to you depending on what station or what position you have. And then as you grow in the restaurant, then your your salary increases. Yeah. And you, you, I'm sorry. Do you see that, like, because the guys in the kitchen are, are getting a little more share of the pie, do you see them, like, taking a little more, like, ownership over, like, a dish or being a little more careful or, you I mean, know, yeah, that, certainly. You know? I, I, I definitely encourage them to 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 want more to yeah. I I am definitely uh, I definitely try to work one on one with all of my cooks to to encourage them to to push for more cuz as they grow they'll get, they'll get paid more right so I always uh, make sure that I know where they all want to end up someone wants to be a sous chef someone wants to work the meat station and I work closely with them to get them to that to that position uh, because obviously they'll learn more and obviously they'll just uh, get paid more as well. Do you th- do you think that, because we'll, we speak a lot about the crazy like differences in viewpoint between the back of house and the front of house, right? Like you have, uh, you have like the black and white as a back of, ha- back of house. You walk in, it's either it's like this or that. And you need a question, yeah. you get to the front of house and there's all kinds of drama and stories and like, you know, this, all oh, about this guy needs this. And all of a sudden, like all the stories that the service come up to at the past, yeah, it's like, you, just all of a sudden there's like this gray, right? And then you come in the back and you're just like, I just need to know what you need from my yep. life right now. And then yeah. I need you to go back to the front, right? Do you, and sometimes I think it's lost because obviously there's viewpoints for a reason. Like the front house is a different animal than the back house is. And when you're stuck in the back all the time, maybe you don't see everything out that the front's doing. And vice versa, like the front's in the front all the time and they don't see everything in the back's doing. When you have like a revenue sharing and you understand like it's not just about I'm going to, you know, whatever your responsibility is to dumb it down. I'm going to cook what I have to cook. I'm going to put on a plate. I'm going to send it out to the front. And I don't care what happens after that because I'm done. When you're when you're in a revenue sharing program now, I think, does that make people care what happens after the plate leaves? Because you understand that the front of house is going to affect yeah. your bottom line as well. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you want everybody to be as well informed and just ready to deliver the proper product that we're trying to give. So, so your money doesn't get affected basically. And, um, the way we have, we have this nice little revenue share calculator that gets emailed to us so we can see how much we're making in terms of the revenue share on a week to week basis. But you can also kind of get an idea of what the other positions are making too. Like you don't know all of their exact information, but you can like see the numbers and say like, all right, our servers are making this percentage. We're making this percentage. Let's make sure that they're doing their job properly, not to get on their case or anything, but let's make sure they have all the information they need to do their job properly. So we all win at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also the fact that we have an open kitchen. Yeah. Uh, we, we are, we, it feels that we are uh, out there as well. 
and we see, you know, we see the food, uh, how it gets presented to the table. How it's received at the how table. How it's received at the table. So it feels like we're, we're like constantly, uh, we're part of the entire process. Yeah. So even though we're in the back of the, back of the house, we're in the kitchen cooking. And also for the front of the house, they see us work every night. They see uh, what it takes for us to... And I think that's helpful for them yeah. because then they're able to go and relay that to the tables a little bit better because they're actually watching it go down themselves. Yeah, I do, I do like the term uh, heart of the house. A lot of times you, you hear that maybe referring to the back of the house just because it is like the bloodline. It, you can't do anything without the back of the house. Yeah. Uh, but in Manhattan, from what you said a little bit earlier, the back house is actually the center of the it's, house. It's in the front of the house. <laughs> which which the house, led yeah. me to think about that heart of the house. That's kind of cool. I like that. Uh, but yeah, one service starts, we're no longer back in the house. We're front of the house at that point. Yeah, and then and we're we're a big part of the what happens at the tables. Uh, servers are always uh, approaching the past and yeah. and uh, discussing you know the the guest preferences or many alterations and then it's uh they're always having that conversation with us so mm -hmm. it's almost as if we're speaking with the guest uh so i think uh having an open kitchen and being a revenue share restaurant uh gives the back of the house at manhattan a lot of uh you know, a lot of power or presence. The rest of this interview with Jorge Pablon will be uploaded separately. Hit the subscribe or follow button so your streaming service will notify you of new uploads or interviews of shows in the future. Right about now, Waiting on Fries Court is in full effect. Judge J residing in the case of Waiting on Fries against the Yelp viewers of America. Prosecuting attorneys are Anu Bandel and Justin Zato. Order, order, order. And this week on Restaurant Takedowns. I'm just going to go ahead and start reading it because I'm going to get into it. All right. We got, I want to state that I drove nearly 40 miles to get to Tarrytown for this restaurant. I went here maybe a year ago and I remember it was delicious. When I went here this past Sunday at about 4.30, they weren't open yet. Some of the lights were on, staff inside, the chairs still on tables, and a guy was riding around on his hoverboard inside. Okay, they're not open till 5, no problem. I'll wait even though I was hungry. I noticed two other people tried to get inside as well, but no luck for them either. A little after five, tried again. This time the guy signaled that they were closed. What? There was no sign on the door. There was nothing on their website stating that they would be closed. What a waste of my time and gas. Where can I go to find Marty McFly on his hoverboard, please? <laughs> I think they have hoverboards now. Okay. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> but, Wait, actual real hover? like So... Hover? I mean, this is this is a solid review if you think the place is going to be open and then it's and then it's just closed. But you know, so I would wonder what happened. You know, the owner of the restaurant responded, and I'm going to just throw this in there. This is a this is a perfect response to a Yelp review. This is the way this is the way to handle it. Unlike you know our other which, friend, which we were discussing in the first episode, right in episode one. Watch me win. <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> The owner responds, I have to say, I'm completely horrified to hear about your experience, but at the same time, some stuff just doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> We're open for brunch and dinner on Sunday, so surely the chairs wouldn't be up, and we might even have some lingering guests from the late afternoon. We always invite early guests to start, to start at the bar while the kitchen finishes the changeover. Also... We're in Dobbs Ferry, not Terrytown. <laughs> I really, really hope that maybe you've mistaken us because I assure you we do not have any hoverboards around here. <laughs> that is the most perfect response, and that's a very uh, 
regimented response. Probably not exactly what he wanted to say. Right. But he did a good job of keeping keeping himself very restrained. Kept his composure or respond to something yeah. that clearly was incorrect. Exactly. So so here's what I'm just gonna interject. And I've seen this happen a bunch of times, including to our own restaurant. If you're gonna go on Yelp and decide I wanna take someone down because my <laughs> experience was terrible, you know, I question your morals just for that First alone. Of all, yeah. Because like, you know, just take it up with them. But let's make sure you get the right restaurant. <laughs> If you're going to go on and just write a bad review and take down someone's Yelp review, you know, like these things count. Some people are going to read it and think that this actually happened and they're going to question, you know, they're questioning their visit to that restaurant. And we work hard at the restaurant to get you to come in the door. Absolutely. So if you're writing a, a poor Yelp review, one, I hope you brought it up with me first, you know, if you had a problem. Two, Please make sure it's my restaurant. (laughs) You know, let's get it right. And that's happened to me before. There's another there's another restaurant with a similar name in town and you know, they wrote a review and just knocking out all the stuff that we I've never made before in my life in my life. So I know that it happened. So I mean like that's people's got you know, you gotta pay attention to what you're doing. Without getting too deep into the story, there was also the one time a pub or a journalist contacted our restaurant, thinking it was another restaurant due to some like health. Yeah, scare. yeah, it's a health. Scare. I mean, that's a whole nother. That's whole a whole nother, nother story. Issue. But that's even worse. A quick Google search would have solved that problem. Can, can the owner get that uh, bad review taken taken down? Or, or I mean, for the low price of ninety nine dollars, that review can be eliminated by Yelp. Yeah, unfortunately, oh, Yelp really? doesn't take any reviews down. It's like they're. So it's all like they can policy. do is just reply. All they can do is reply like yeah. that, which like he handled, he did, yeah. like which I think he handled really well. Because I, in the back of my head, I can be like, "This son of a <laughs> wrote this review, but i and I would just want to like, yo, like, why are you right? This is the wrong restaurant." But yeah, you know, I think he handled it nice. He he, he sympathized well. with her experience, yep. you know, to like put himself on the same side as the customer, yeah. and, and very clearly said, "This wasn't us. Yeah, this wasn't <laughs> us." Can the client go back and change, or the customer go back and <laughs> change? I know I'm in graphic. <laughs> I'm in graphic design mode. Here's my invoices. That's, uh, yeah, can the guest go back and change the their guest star review? Yeah, yeah, the guest can delete it. But for they sure. they didn't do that. They never they left do. it there. They never did because they only log on to do the takedown, and then they don't log back on until there's another takedown at hand, right? Probably yeah. something like that. Ideally, I, I would like to see more positive Yelp reviews. I'm not a Yelper myself, so I'm not. not but it's the only way to combat, is it right? Or do you just look at Google reviews instead? You mentioned a review in the in the interview, right? Well, do you use Yelp reviews or different reviews? Uh, we we read the the reviews and and just to just to assess the overall experience of the guests. Yeah. So like Yelp reviews and also um, comment cards. I, each guest will get a little. Oh yeah, card. that's much better because like then you have it in house and you can address it. Yeah. Like you know, at least you know from time. And I feel like there's um, there's someone who's paying attention to like reviews online on a nightly basis, right? Isn't that one of the sous chef responsibilities? Yeah, to like yeah, see them and the, respond them. Uh, yeah. Clearly, you can't use Yelp because you're not even sure if they have the right restaurant. <laughs> I could see somebody uh, reviewing Manhattan and being like, "This place is so dirty. The Statue of Liberty is filthy. The train lines are disgusting." And then you realize they meant to write about Manhattan. Period. <laughs> Dangerous naming of a restaurant. I saw rats on the train sure. track. <laughs> the train going to the restaurant. Train track in the restaurant. <laughs> gotta check this place out. <laughs> Do better with your Yelps. Do better. Make sure you're reviewing the right places. And with that, let's check our voicemails. Hey, you've reached Waiting on Fries. Send us your voicemail. You have one new message. 
So first of all, I want to say that I really, really liked your podcast. I listened to the second episode this morning on my way into work, and I wanted to get your opinion on tipping. This kind of got brought up a couple of different times throughout the years about, uh, you know, pooling tips or, you know, just servers getting the tips from their own tables. Um, and I recently actually went in to visit a noom at Manhattan, and they don't do tipping. It's kind of like this thing where everybody in the restaurant is one team, and they, I guess, kind of share those, I guess not tips because they're not getting tips, but, you know, it's kind of included in their salary hourly rate. So I kind of figure everybody may have a different opinion about this because, you know, Justin kind of being like front of house, Jay being front of house as well, and then Anum kind of being back of house, um, you know, the opinions might differ there, and I guess I was interested in seeing, like, where you guys were at with that and um, I guess just about the restaurant industry in general and, like, how that whole concept of tipping and gratuity is changing. So, all right, that's a good question. We do go back and forth a lot about tipping and tip pooling and how you share tips and obviously we do have some different perspectives. My my whole thing is I actually think I from a from a house perspective as you know running running the whole restaurant, I think I would prefer the the tip pooling thing. Like I see more advantages from pooling tips You're talking versus about well let's just say having before, a having a policy where you can tip and all the servers pooling. Yeah. Tip. So before we get into the hospitality included versus not um setups, if you want to say like whether you have a tip pooling scenario versus everybody keeps their own thing. I I think that the tip pooling thing is gonna be is gonna work out better for the restaurant itself because, you know, then you're you're forcing that team aspect a little bit better than like everybody out for themselves. And there's definitely like pushback either way because, you know, if you go to a staff that's already keeps their own tips and you tell them we're thinking about going to pool tips. They immediately start saying, oh, well, what if so-and-so doesn't do this? Or what if so-and-so doesn't do that? But I do all the work over here and I do all like, or what if she screws up? And then, you know, you know, Why does it have she, to be she? she or he screws up. And, you know, then I, my tips tips go down. What they're looking at is like the, the immediate response, right? Because sure, you're going to go from everybody has their own, everybody keeps their own and you switch to pool, uh, pooling tips. Immediately, you're going to have that that growing pain in that because you're going to identify real quick who's not who's not contributing who's hard. not contributing yeah. and who is but i think eventually that kind of flattens out and you figure out and you get a team that's going to work better you know and that's and that's one perspective of it too and on the other side of it you know i look at the 80 20 rule where it's 20 percent of the people in the restaurant are the ones that are really there living to do all the work to get things done and really are your grade a employees and staff that are very knowledgeable and really know this business inside and out. And for somebody that is one of those grade A employees, do they want to have to carry some of the 80%? Like, it's tough. It's really tough to deal with, I think. And I don't think that they want to. I'm sure in the beginning, nobody's going to want to. No one's going to want to. But But I think eventually... Eventually, like the quality of the work will improve and yeah. everybody will start feeling that they're putting in the same share of work or the same yeah, amount of And you're either going to get on board or, or you know, or we're going to realize that, you know, some turnover is needed. Or you could take it one step further where the whole house really shares something and that's the trends that we're seeing. Like we spoke, to, you know, we spoke with Chef earlier where everybody's kind of involved in that in that revenue sharing. And then that really creates like a team thing. It's just... Yeah. Grasping an idea of where when you've been running one system for so long, making that jump, not just to tip pooling, to just being like 
this is the new system altogether. Yeah. You know, that's a lot of training to go through staff, through your um, through your fan base, you know, through everybody that you're going to speak to. So that gets tricky. But I, eventually, I see that not being just a trend, but eventually, like, where we're going. Because it does even the gap, like you, like, you know, like we said. You just said 80-20. I'll take it a step further. You know, the you know the kitchen is a little more consistent than the front house. Like they're they're there all the time, daytime, nighttime. They're producing the food. Like they're they're the one putting in the effort. And the gap between the front house to the back house is, you know, way way larger inversely to the amount of time put in to right. the effort. Right. Sure. So the, you know it's it's swung way far the other way. So I think if you get into revenue sharing where the kitchen actually gets part of that, you know, then you're bringing everybody together and you see like, as you guys were speaking to earlier, everybody's working together. Sure. And you know, this is something that's been popping up more and more. And I see it in the, the cocktail or server forums on, on Facebook or the groups where people are posting about these, this 3% service charge that's now being added on to the, the bills. And, they're now having a, a complaint in themselves, though, saying that it's taking from their percentage of tip because the person goes, well, there's already 3% included, which I saw some posts saying that it's even 5% in some places. And where they say, oh, it's already included, they feel like they're getting less of a tip percentage on the bill because people go, eh, they've already forced a mandatory 3% on me. I think that's where you got to be careful of how you present it to your guests, right? And they're sitting there and they look at it, like, from what I understand – because of the way that the regulations are, you can't necessarily uh, receive gratuity for the for the kitchen for whatever reason. So you have to present it on the bill a certain way, like that doesn't it doesn't look like gratuity. Doesn't list and, it as a gratuity. Yeah, and I and I think I think just everybody being educated on what it is. So if someone asks, you know, what is this charge, you can appropriately explain or communicate to the guests what it is. That kind of will take away that percentage. I think you're losing it when. You know, that 2% charge extra is a very small-minded way of looking at the big picture. You're like, I'm worried about, you know, losing 2% on this check where if we're all working together, we can go way above that 2% charge. You know, like, you should just be doing a better job. Do better. You know, and you're not going to worry about chef. 2%. <laughs> 2%, you know, like, don't worry about the 2% you're losing on your check. Just, like, do whatever you have to do to make your their experience better. Exactly. And is that a floodgate, though, where it starts at 2% then it's 3%, all of a sudden no. it's 5%? Like, where do you cap things? I think you have to identify what's correct. Like, I mean, it's only going to be a floodgate if you incorrectly come up with a number. Like, you can't just make it an arbitrary number and say, you know what, we're just going to start collecting 3% for the bag house. I think if you're going to make that decision, you shouldn't, it shouldn't be a decision you make, like, overnight. You should look into it, look at your revenue centers, look at the distribution, look where it's going, figure out what your averages are for the week, you know, figure out what number is going to translate to something that makes it worth it. Because the last thing you want to do is, you know, I say all the time, I say all the time that if we give raises to people, I actually don't like giving raises, like especially to servers, right? Because servers make hourly, hourly wise, they make the, the least. But when you include their tips, they make the most. Some of them don't even realize that they make the most. They make them like $35 an hour. And they're like, the worst thing is someone who makes it. the most and then comes into the kitchen and starts complaining about it, about making so much more money, but they're not making enough money and they're surrounded by people right. who are working their asses off and not seeing but, any of that. And, that, and that's my point is like, what I, I hate to give raises because 
if you're making, let's say $9 an hour, right? And I give you a raise. For me, a dollar an hour is a big jump, right? That's, where does that work out to like a third, 10% raise, right? A dollar an hour and $9 an hour is like a little bit above a 10% raise, which is, I mean, most people get a 3% raise, right? Yeah. But you can't speak like that when you're talking about $9 an hour. So I give you a dollar, that's a 10% raise. I just raise my labor cost 10%, which is an enormous number from the house, from our standpoint. And to the server, they're going to be like, give me a dollar, <laughs> you know? Like I work 26 hours a week, that's $30 a week that I just got. Like, that's it, you know? It's not worth it. Like I'd yeah. rather I'd rather figure out a different way that's going to be worth more it, rewarding you know, more them. rewarding in yeah. the end. So if you, if you just come with an arbitrary number and then it shows up on your paycheck and it's like four bucks, you know, what did you do? You just went through <laughs> all this work and educated yeah. all these people like it's some big deal and then no one cares at the end. So exactly. I think you just have to put the put the work into it. And to get back, I'm not saying that the server shouldn't get raises, but I'd like, I'd like to do it to in get, a more meaningful yeah, way. Yeah. I'd like them to, I like raises to be in the forms of like better shifts or yeah. more shifts sure. or, or something priority like that. over the shifts. Yeah. You get to choose your yeah. own shifts, that sort of thing. Yes. Yeah, so or the best table sections in whichever way, right? You, do you do that? Sections, maybe, you know, yeah. I don't want to close, you know, you can do it. I don't know, whatever. I'd rather that. You just get you know, to reward the, effort in a meaningful way. Yeah. Yeah. I think we should look into this service fee a little bit further into next week, no? Yeah, absolutely. It's something we can definitely spend a ton of time yeah. on. So why don't we uh, hit the books and see what we come up with? Oh, for sure. That's what we got for you guys. So you, know, you got to hit that train, and I got to get to the bar. So good talk, guys. See you out there.